Big news, everybody. Dan and I are playing London's O2 Arena. Yes. Well, not the whole arena. I mean, not a lot of people realise that there's that there's other bits of it. So if you just say the O2. Fine, I'm happy with like, that. It's not a lie, is it? So That's true. Dan and I are playing the O2 Arena London, our biggest gig yet at Cineworld. And you can be there. This is the Just for Laughs Festival. It's happening on Sunday, the 5th of March. Um, we've got some amazing guests. TBA, it's going to be good. There's some amazing people on the lineup, including Graham Norton, Catherine Ryan, and we can't wait to see you at Just for Last Festival. So get your tickets right now. Go to gaynongay.com. Yeah, it's in the afternoon of Sunday, the 5th of March. So if you're in London, come down. If you're not, come down to London or come up to London. Sorry, not everybody lives above London or in London. You okay, Dan? Some people live in Brighton. You're right. Quite a few of our listeners, in are, fact, are you okay? Live in Brighton. Yeah, 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 I'm cool. Great. They know what they're doing. I'm just, I'm just not a London, uh, London wanker. Oh, really. are you not? No, no, no. Oh, no. I thought you were. No, no, oh, no. Oh, that's so funny. I've got, one, I've got one foot on in the rest of the country. Right. <laughs> so relatable and real. Yeah, exactly. Visit gainongay.com to get tickets, and we'll see you in 2023. Again, a non-gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're like a lovely little couple, except they're not. Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. Hello, welcome to a gay and non-gay. I'm Dan Hudson. He's James Barr. And this is the best of the guests 2022. Woo! We've had a truly incredible year. We've met so many inspiring people on the show. And since it's the start of 2023, we're going to play some of our fave moments for you. Coming up, we're going to hear from some truly amazing, inspiring people. We've got Adam, the London patient, uh, the second person in the world to be cured of HIV. Barrett Hudson, who survived the Club Q shooting in Colorado just a few weeks ago. Um, Sharon Gafka from Love Island. Love Sharon. The FA's first ever a gay referee Ryan Atkin, Dan's stand-up teacher and comedy icon Sakisa live in Edinburgh and our listener Matt who came out to his parents on the podcast. We started the year very much as we meant to go on I think guest wise because in February for LGBT plus history month uh, we were lucky enough to be joined by the legendary human rights activist Peter Tatchell. Here he is telling us about the time in the mid-1990s where he started outing bishops. You were part of a, a radical protest group called Outrage. As part of that, Peter outed secretly gay bishops. Now, I think that's amazing. <laughs> now, uh, a lot of people were very angry with you, including uh, many people from the queer community. And I think probably some would still disagree with your action then. In hindsight, do you think it was wrong to out members of the clergy? Well, the first thing to say is that we never outed them because they were gay and in the closet. It was because they were part of a homophobic church that was not only saying that gay people are sinners and must repent, but was actively campaigning against gay equality to sustain legal discrimination. So the church was abusing its power and influence in order to harm our community. In outrage, we saw outing as queer self-defense. We were seeking to protect our community against those doing harm. And the upshot was that those 10 bishops who were named, as far as I know, after they were named, they never again aligned with or said anything homophobic, biophobic or transphobic. So it had a positive impact. And it also, <laughs> it also provoked then Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. George Carey, to open up the first ever dialogue with the lesbian and gay Christian movement, which he'd always previously refused. And it did prompt some other bishops, more liberal bishops, to speak out in favour of LGBT plus human rights. So it had three wins, that, that action. And my only regret is that I didn't do it earlier 
<laughs> and to more often, more often to other people because it does shut people up when yeah. they're exposed as not only homophobes but hypocrites. They get very embarrassed and they tend to keep quiet. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to keep quiet and, in the case of MPs, stop voting against equality. I agree. It's funny, though. When you say you're outing someone, it makes me think of like Dan Wooten in The Sun outing Will Young, which obviously is wrong because he's not colluding with homophobia. But these bishops are going around very much like conversion therapists lying to people, putting shame on everybody else because they can't deal with who they are inside. Or some of them didn't explicitly speak out, but they endorsed the church's official policy, which was incredibly homophobic. Did you think, did you weigh it all up or was it an instant decision like, I know I have to do this? Well, the decision to name the bishops was a decision made by the LGBT plus direct action group Outrage. We had repeated discussions about it. In fact, we delayed it for six months because there wasn't a consensus within the group. But after about six months... Nearly everybody in the group came to the decision that this was a necessary last resort, that the church was not listening to reason or compassion. It wouldn't dialogue with us. We had to do something to stop that homophobia. And so, yeah, we did it after very lengthy considerations. And we only named those bishops where we had evidence of them being gay in private from multiple sources. These are people who, you know, saw these bishops at gay parties or knew their partners or things like that. Are there any more out there that, that haven't come out yet? <laughs> um, there are one or two, really? but, but they're not opposing LGBT plus equality, so we'll leave them be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so watch yourself, gay clergy, because we are watching you. In March, we were joined by Sebastian Miser, who came in to talk about his film, The Great Freedom. Um, the conversation quickly turned to dark rooms and the trips that he'd taken in the name of research. I think a lot of people will get off on this film, actually. I think people will find this a bit of a turn on, like this, this oh, yeah. relationship, friendship between the two. Not well, me, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, no, but, I've been to, to many dark rooms for research of the film. And, did you really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, I really felt really comfortable, even if, I, if I'm not, if I haven't been part of the community <laughs> so far, but there I was accepted. And, and um, when you were in the dark room, were you part of the community, if you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> really? You actually got involved? Absolutely. As a man that normally would choose to sleep with women? Yeah, why not? Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> That's so cool. I'd um, love to know what you did, but we'll chat after. I mean, it's a rough place. You know You know, dark rooms, pro- probably. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been to the, to the laboratory in, uh, yes. in, in Berlin. It, it is a rough place, but there's so much tenderness and so much love and this uh, really, um, well, I think it's not on. It's not about the sex to go to a dark room. You don't it think? Is also, of course, it is. But it's um, it's like um, being part of the human race in a way. And um, and I really found it interesting how much tenderness you can find there. I've never heard anyone describe it in such a beautiful way. And I suppose it maybe takes someone that's never been in that scenario before to look at it and call it that. Because to me, it's always just been this like. When I was younger, it was a scary place. And then as I got older, it just became like a sex place. Mm. But it isn't that. that. You're right. No, it's much no, it's more not. about connection yeah. and yeah. humanity. And yeah, that tenderness that yeah. exists between a group of people that yeah. share something so different yeah. to everyone else. So yeah, thank you. I can't wait to visit again. <laughs> so I, I, I haven't been to one. So how, how accurate... I might is, shed a tear when I'm next there. <laughs> how accurate is the one at the end of the film? Well, actually, I didn't think it was that accurate, but you maybe did. Tell me about it. 
No, well, I mean, it's it's supposed to be an early dark room, like um, the first ones who opened in um, in in Berlin in the early seventies were really uh, basic. You know, it was just a cellar. That's what they did um, early on. They took the the prison bars and all these symbols of uh, oppression. They just took them with them <laughs> to play with them, which I found, found in, even today it still exists. It know? does, yeah. And uh, I find it a very interesting. Um, it's ironic in a way, you know, and uh, it's playful. That there's a very interesting interpretation of Judith Butler. Um, about fetish and um, in her opinion it's always to um, overcome the the oppression in taking the symbols of oppression and play with them and um, this is I think what happened in the early dark rooms and still still is a tradition I have never noticed that before huh. and, and I genuinely I know I said as a joke I'm going to shed a tear next time I go in a dark room but actually maybe I will <laughs> because I'd never looked around before and gone oh this is why there's prison bars here Oh. Or like, I just hadn't, I hadn't figured that out. But yeah, that makes total sense now that I'm thinking oh. about it. It's inverting that shame, playing with it. It's yeah, yeah. really powerful. The only reason I thought it wasn't realistic was because, as you say, it was an early dark room. And I was like, wow, this looks like 3 p.m. in a dark room, not like midnight where yeah, yeah. it would be rammed and everyone yeah. would be like completely naked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been in dark rooms where you can't move. Mm. It's like impossible to get out. Because you're sort of trapped and you're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, because it's just well, so it's just busy. Blakes everywhere bang, oh, like a zombie apocalypse mm-hmm. vibe. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if that was your experience at laboratory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but very much a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Interesting. So see you in Sweatbox soon then, Dan. Not that that's a dark room, that's a, a sauna. Uh, this year in Pride Month, we had a ton of amazing guests, as usual. And one of our favorite guests was our second couple to appear on our podcast. It was Jake and Hannah Graff, who are both trans and amazing and so inspiring. And we asked them what life was like for trans people in 2022. Last time we chatted on Zoom in the pandemic, we were saying things were better than ever for acceptance in the UK. Do you still feel that way? We've just dropped from number 10 in the IGLA Europe League of uh, LGBT, inclusion. LGBT inclusion. We were number one a few years ago. We then dropped to number 10. This year we're number 14. You make of that what you will. I've had US friends message recently and bear in mind they've just had four years of Trump. Uh, saying, are you guys okay over there? Because, you know, you are now being referred to as Turf Island. I think things are probably the worst they've been for a long time in the UK. Hannah, having, you know, served in Afghanistan, did say recently that she fears now walking down the high street as a trans woman because it's so worrying out there. Unfortunately, it is definitely getting worse. I I generally feel less safe walking down the street than I used to. And I say I've toured Afghanistan and I've been to some crazy places in my time. But in the UK... I honestly don't feel entirely safe. And I and I consider myself a very confident, outgoing person. But when I interact with people I don't know, I keep my voice really down. I'm really worried that someone's going to realise I'm trans in case then they happen to be one of these people who think I'm a horrible person then launch into me. And unfortunately, that does happen. And I hate myself for it. But, you know, it's a bit of self-preservation. You have to. And it's really sad that I feel that more now than I did, you know, six, seven years ago when I first came out. That's so sad. Especially... Well, not especially anything, but you've obviously served your country at, at the highest level. So actually, you've earned the right more than anybody to swan around and do what the hell you want. <laughs> I, th- I think what I've achieved is is really irrelevant. It shouldn't matter whether or not, you know, no, you've course, served in yeah. Afghanistan or, you know, you're a 14 year old who's, you know, just trying to get by at school. Everyone is, should be entitled to live their authentic selves happily without fear of retribution from someone who thinks that you're a freak. And I just I just wish people could recognize that 
the real harm that's being done to the trans community right now and the fight that we need to to fight to be able to move forward you've just described that so painfully it's impossible to comprehend how it actually feels to be a trans woman experiencing all of that and you just put that in such a uh in a very easy to understand way so yeah thanks for talking about that i think you know obviously it rages us and it's all very difficult but imagine being a young person i think this is what it is these kids who are really struggling i know i've been there when you're so scared you're scared of everything from lack of acceptance from being excluded from your friend group from puberty which is like you know one of the biggest terrors you face as a trans young trans person trying to stop your body changing in that way and then on top of it you you look to your government which these kids are so aware of because they're all plugged into social media they are aware that potentially one of their biggest or most cherished children's authors is talking about them in this derogatory way they are aware that their government is not supportive of them they walk past these newspapers on the way to school and see trans people splashed across the front pages it must be absolutely heartbreaking it must be terrifying it must do so much damage to their self-worth and their self-confidence and again unfortunately no one's thinking about these young people and this nonsense rhetoric this narrative of you know oh, just leave these kids alone you know this is this is what the, the sort of bigots say just let them have a childhood stop forcing your gender ideology on them these kids just want their childhood they just want to be accepted in the correct gender they want to be allowed to use the correct pronouns they want to be allowed to use a correct name or wear a pair of jeans or a dress they're not asking for a lot this nonsense about you know taking away their childhood by forcing them into transition it's just untrue it is lies and misinformation and we've got to flip that over and help these kids to have a childhood the childhood that i never had the amazing jake and hannah graff there and uh, as pride month continued we battled various logistical difficulties uh, to welcome love island sharon gafka who came out as bisexual on the show in 2021 and we asked her why is love island so straight why is Love Island so straight? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I don't think Love Island is so straight, but I think people portray themselves as completely straight to get on the show, maybe. Uh, Do you think so? I think so, because, you know, we saw in one of the first challenges, two girls kiss, girls flirting with each other, like loads of boys admitted they kissed other boys. And I think it was Dammy that was like, yeah, I'd do it again. It doesn't bother me. Like, why is it a big deal if I kiss another man? And I think I'm not the first bisexual contestant that has ever walked through the door. But I think, you know, they're just logistically less difficult to be straight on <sighs> the show. So th- this is what I want to talk about, because I'm not really OK with Love Island. And mm-hmm. I- I'm grateful that we've got our own platform to sort of talk about it. But I-, I do think I'm sort of preaching to the choir with our listeners. But I think it is offensively straight. And I, and yeah. I think that what we saw in the first episode where Amber and Tasha sharing that kiss, that very much felt like sort of um i don't know if that was really showing lgbtq plus culture or more just like play for the man it, it yeah, was kind of playing two birds getting off basically yeah, yeah and so it kind of feels a bit gross to me almost a bit like what we see on a regular basis online you know where straight men don't mind two women kissing because it's hot but they wouldn't like it if two guys did it i do agree in the sense that maybe you know the kissing was more played up for the guys instead of being a bit more free about their sexuality but you know i i'd love to welcome more queer contestants onto love island i don't think it's logistically difficult deliver your best chat up line to the girl you fancy the most you can't do that <laughs> why can't i oh i've got a good one tash fancy giving us a tash in 2021 an itv commissioner basically told radio times that putting queer contestants in love island would be quote logistically difficult and although islanders don't have to be 100 percent straight case in point for you over here fabulous the format must sort of give the islanders an equal choice when coupling up 
that was why they called it logistically difficult. Do mm-hmm. you agree? I'm guessing you don't because you said no. you didn't. <laughs> Do you agree with that? <laughs> no. So when we watched, is it um, Sophie and I can't remember the other lady's name couple up in, I think it's 2016. Yes. Yeah. They just send more boys home. Yeah, I mean, great. And then bring more boys in. They do tell you when you go through the casting process that you're not guaranteed to be into the villa unless you walk through that door. So you're never guaranteed. Just bring more people out. Yeah. Tell them the same thing. And then, you know, if you have people coupling up with same-sex couples and then they change their mind and then go to mixed-gender couples and then vice versa, just send more people home. Yeah. I was going to say, in The Apprentice, when Lord Sugar fires someone or he might fire two people in one week, later in the series, there's a week where he doesn't fire anyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not. It just balances out. Yeah. And you're saying there's a whole bunch of people that aren't on TV just behind the scenes waiting to go on yeah. on a casting couch or whatever that they've been chosen pre-selected subs bench why not just yeah why not just send more in well yeah so i think um some of the people that were in my season said that they knew people that were in cast holding and never made it in onto the show wow so i mean i don't know how factually accurate that is but you know that's always a possibility right you know just carry on doing the same thing have more people on standby ready to go in and then if they don't go in they don't go in that's a risky take okay so is this show homophobic to me, it is very much so because I can't see another reason why they haven't made an effort. And they're steadfast in not making an effort. They're doing this sort of bisexual teasing this season by letting two people kiss. And to me, it stinks of homophobia. Now, it would be impossible to talk about 2022 without mentioning the World Cup in Qatar, yawn. Uh, And back in June, we invited Ryan Atkin on. He's the FA's first ever gay referee in the UK. And I suppose we really got into it. Do you feel safe heading there? I think I would, yeah. But I'm I'm very fortunate because if I was going, I'd probably be doing it for for a reason. So for example, if it was around LGBTQ plus, I'd probably be going with a company or, or with with football. So yeah, I probably would feel safe, and I felt very safe in Russia. Do you feel safe? I don't know if I feel safe at a football match. So it's interesting that you ask that question because it just in general, like feeling safe in a homophobic country but then also feeling safe in a football stand. I don't know if I would feel safe there. Interesting. I uh, travelled on the train the other day, as I do, and um, <laughs> there were football fans. And actually, they can get really, really rowdy. And it's, yeah. and it's good fun. But I must admit... <laughs> oh, oh, it is? <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're, they're having a great time. You know, they're, they're coming to support their team and stuff. Right. But, but even for me, I would say even as a football referee, I don't necessarily... When I say feel safe, it just feels that it's a very intimidating and intense atmosphere you know it's not always accepting necessarily of others but it is changing you know we are seeing rainbow flags flown above premier league and football league clubs you know lgbt fan groups uh within you know within the stadiums that you know they have their bit in the stadium you know it, it is changing but it can be very daunting to go to football and it, for me even going as a spectator it can be very daunting just the sort of huge numbers i was at the fa cup final the other day and i got off the the tube at wembley and i was like oh my God, there's thousands and thousands of people all walking up this one street. You know, you just couldn't move. But once you're inside and you've got that, you you know, you've got that atmosphere and you've got that passion and that's what it is. It's passion. You know, it's a real big buzz. Terrifying. (laughs) Uh, I used to go to Charlton as a kid and it felt very confusing as like Mm. a very young gay boy because everyone was like hugging and getting very touchy, but yeah, it's very manly and laddie and everyone's eating pork pies and drinking masks. But then recently I noticed outside the stadium, they had uh, like a rainbow crossing. And it had Charlton Athletic's logo on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, how nice is that? I sent this to my dad and I was like, look, your football club is like being gay. 
<laughs> and he was really touched by it too. But it meant a lot, I suppose, because it definitely not felt like a welcoming space for me ever. So to know that actually if I wanted to go back, even if certain fans don't want me there, that the club do. Yeah, and, uh, but fans are changing and it's not all fans. You know, I don't want to tie everyone with the same brush. Yeah. It's not all fans. But unfortunately, when you have a bad experience, it's always those small few that cause you to have that bad experience. So actually, probably in the main, everybody is, is really good, decent individuals who, you know, go to work every day and have families and children. But it's, I think it's hard in football for spectators when, I don't know, whether they leave their brain outside, but when they walk <laughs> through, when they walk through that turnstile, it's like they're in a different world and this is where football's got to change it's got to represent society within the ground it's not a different world you know the same laws the same equality everything you do as a normal human being doesn't change when you walk through when you walk through that turnstile and I think that's the bit where we need to get people to change is to realise themselves hang on a minute aren't you a father a mother whatever you may be you have children would you say that to your child you know i've been in at games where the language of coming out of someone's mouth is absolutely and i won't repeat it on the show (laughs) atrocious and there's a kid standing right next to them probably their son daughter and you think does your partner wife husband know what you do at football and i I always think that should be a slogan does your partner know what you're saying at football yeah because you you wouldn't have that uh, a concert would you you wouldn't have you wouldn't have people screaming at each other no and, and people get the passion and this is where where we've got to work better with clubs we've got to work better with supporters and the key stakeholders like the fa the premier league fifa and uefa they have to decide what their values are and then they have to stick to those values and they need to make everybody aware what their values are and if people don't align to their values you show them the door or the red card that's ryan atkin there and this year we celebrated our 300th episode of a gay and a non-gay and for that episode uh, we hit up drag race royalty scarlet harlot who helped our listener matt come out to his mum on the podcast uh, which was also broadcast on kiss fm as part of a month-long series we presented for them called coming out out and here's the moment that matt came out hello Sorry to get you onto the radio, but I've got something very exciting to tell you. Okay. So I am on the radio for Pride Month. Okay. And basically I just wanted to say that I am bisexual. Me and Anne are very happy and we're in an open relationship, which is going very well. We're very comfortable, very happy with each other. We trust each other so much more now. It's been like the best change I've made in my life in like the past few years, so... I'm very grateful for it, and I thought I just want to let you know in the best, most glamorous way possible, which is on the radio, (laughs) to the public, and with Dan and James. Well, I'm glad that you're finally honest with me. I kind of like guests anyway, so, you know, it's no... You know I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you're happy. I'm very, very happy. And obviously a dress a little bit different now sometimes when I go out and I, I'm really comfortable in that and it makes me feel yeah. breaking out my bubble which is why I do it but I feel so much better from it when I get on the tube there's people there staring yeah. I kind of feel like a really nice power and confidence which I've never had before but as long as you feel comfortable like that you know I don't yeah. worry about you but I worry about other people you know how they perceive it and that as long as you're happy I'm so happy and no one's ever been cruel to me and it's always been the best reaction for people and people always always complimenting my outfit. You would never have pictured yourself now. It's very different. Three years ago. Now it's been the best journey and I've grown so much more. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a lot more admiration for a lot more people because I can understand how they feel. Yeah, you have. You've always been an understanding lad anyway, so hopefully me and Dad have done something right with you. You've always been, like, caring and loving and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, you have. So, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. 
I'm still feeling very emotional about that one. This year, Dan started learning stand-up comedy. And so when we took our podcast to the Edinburgh Fringe, we invited Sakisa to join us on stage. She is an incredible comedian and also happened to be Dan's stand-up teacher. Uh, So we got her to rate Dan's stand-up. I'm sorry, Dan. Apparently the first time you met, and Dan said he did a podcast called Gay and an Ongay. You said, which one are you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, what? I did, I did look at him and was like, he said he did this podcast because he did brag about it quite a bit. <laughs> um. <laughs> Only, well, uh, no, not in person I didn't. In the application, I was like, oh, I've got to say all this stuff because yeah. that, that'll get me in. So wait, you used me and our podcast. <laughs> you, used, you were basically the uh, 2022 version of, oh, I've got a friend that's gay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what happened. It wasn't a course about being gay. It was no, but I love that. Oh, I'm friends with a gay person. And I did look at him and go, which one are you? <laughs> I literally did that, yeah. Uh, Were you and, disappointed? And then he, then he was like, well, can't you tell? I was like, no, it's 2022, baby. Um, let's not make assumptions. Mm. Yeah. And then I think you said, do you always dress like that? <laughs> so you had made assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have got a distinctive style. Okay. And what is that? <laughs> Let's not talk about it, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Obviously, as we mentioned, uh, you were Dan's stand-up teacher. Yeah. And to close our show tonight, Dan is going to do some jokes <laughs> for all of us. Okay, let's not judge me on this, okay? Um, <laughs> and then... Come to my show. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to get you as his teacher to tell us how he did. Like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, we normally so, get, we normally come up with funny names for this kind of stuff, but we couldn't come up with anything. But well, James had a good one. So I've you? named it. So obviously this is, this would only work if you're going to be nice to Dan. <laughs> but we're going to call it Sakisa Dan's ass, which doesn't really make any sense. Doesn't really make any sense. But, like, but that's know, all we've got. His ass or not? That's, that's, that's all okay. we've got. That's all we've Forget got. Forget the name. I did tell you most of the best features don't have names. But anyway, so we're going to give Dan <laughs> we're going to give Dan one minute to tell as many jokes as he can. Yeah, and one then minute. Sakisa is going to decide how he's done live in the room. We're yeah, let him know right. what his Edinburgh Fringe rating is. Let me just uh, <laughs> let me just get my uh, things. You're going to get your jokes up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. we've got a clock timer that will start when you're ready. I'm really excited. I've got no idea what Dan's about to hit us. Okay, with. should I stand up? This for could this? be some good. Well, it is a stand up, so <laughs> might be a good start. All right, um, are you ready? Yeah, I'm All ready. Right, let's get Dan some applause going. <laughs> All right, please give it up for Dan Hudson. Start the timer. All right, this joke, this one's hot off the press. I did it today. There's a thing going around that the Conservative Party are bringing out their own condoms. This is true. Um, But you can only use them when you fuck a poor person. (laughs) Next one. I get really confused by airports because every time I go one, I can never remember if I'm going to the arrivals or departures because whatever I'm doing, I'm doing both. No. (laughs) All right, this next one requires some context. So, uh, I'm in Florence. This is what I did two weeks ago. I'm officiating my best mate's wedding. And half the crowd literally can't speak English. So I said, I'm sorry to say half of you won't understand what I'm saying. And the other half of you are Italian. (laughs) I feel like I peaked peaked too soon with this. All right, again, I'm in Florence. Oh, that was the longest minute. I think we should let him finish the joke. let 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 me finish. Okay, so we're at this wedding in Florence. Most of the, well, like half of the crowd are from Birmingham, but the groom is not a fan of Aston Villa Football Club. So that's, that's the setup. So I say, isn't it great to be here at the uh, Villa? Steve's told me how much of a fan of the Villa he is, which I'm not sure I thought I'd ever hear him say. 
I got okay, don't judge the course on this. Okay. I got, I got some. <laughs> I love do that you don't want to be associated. I got some. I got some more. I got some more. Okay. Do we want some more? Yeah. All right. Lovely. So that's so lovely. Again, I was in Florence. Someone <laughs> keeps showing off. How many times? Since we're here in Florence, this is what I said. It would be improper for me to not say some words made famous by Florence and the machine, and then I read out some lyrics. Ah. No, okay, no, no. Uh, do, you, do, you have another, do you have another course, Dan? <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. <laughs> now, our live shows aren't necessarily always full of my hilarious um, stand-up routine. Or ever. And at our, London Podca- at our London Podcast Festival show this year, we finally met Adam the London Patient, who we'd had on during COVID when his identity had been revealed as the second person in the world to be cured of HIV. So I think as soon as we could... Uh, get him on as a live guest we wanted to and we did and he truly enraptured the crowd with his story so many things I want to ask but um, you you talked a little bit about immediately after being cured you you sort of fell out of the HIV club I guess yeah Um, but obviously those people probably the the aspects of society that didn't accept you while you had HIV did they uh, sort of let you back in or was it quite a lonely place to be yeah it was a very lonely place to be and I thought I was going to be walking with open arms and I wasn't and that was shocking for me because I thought we all don't want to get cured of HIV apparently not and that was a big lesson for me to understand they want some people don't think to be want to be cured and I think I get used to it and to understand, and say, okay, fine, if you don't want to be cured, it's your prerogative. But uh, I said to somebody which I met recently, a very well-educated person you know, in this country, and he asked me, but I don't care to be cured. I'm in treatment, so I don't care to be cured. And I just pause, and I say to him, Whew, uh, you know, I just want to slap him. <laughs> so what the hell are you talking about? You will not say that you got cancer. You don't tell me you want to live with chemotherapy for the rest of your life. And that mindset we need to change. We want to find a cure. Because you want to be cured if you go cancer, if you go diabetes, you have blood pressure. If you have a disease, you want to be cured. And people seem to find it easy just to be in medication. I understand the difficulties to find a cure. It had took it's 40 years, guy, and it's only five people to be cured. It had taken a long time. But we cannot give up on that hope. We are too used to now to live in treatment, but we need to talk about prevention, treatment, and cure. We stuck into prevention and treatment, and we neglected cure. And I think that is what I realized when I became the London patient. That is just such an inspiring, thought-provoking interview. Please listen to the full show from our London Podcast Festival to hear our chat with Adam, the London patient. Another truly exceptional and inspirational human we were so lucky to welcome onto the podcast just the other week was Barrett Hudson. Barrett is a survivor of the Club Q Colorado Springs shooting. He was there the night a gunman opened fire, killing five people and injuring 25 a heartbreaking moment for our community. He told us his story. Can you take us back to what happened? So I just moved to Colorado Springs maybe four or five weeks ago. So I just moved there and I've been going there for years. So I know people. So me and one of my friends decided to go check out this club. And this is my first night going out. So we got to the club. There was no security. There was this older lady that was maybe like 50, 60 years old uh, working the front door. So we walk in give them our, you know, our ID, and you walk down a hall, and then you walk down another, you walk out another set of doors. 
So when, you, when someone's coming in, you can't see anything. And we were like two seconds from leaving. And I can't remember correctly, but I think I stood up to leave. And my friend was about to stand up, if I remember correctly. And then we heard several pops and gunshots in the club. I've never heard them up until now are like popping balloons. They're loud, it echoes a little bit, but it's still in the background. The music was definitely louder than the gunshots. So the gunshots, like I said, were in the background. I heard about between seven to 12 pops. You know, nobody's seen anything. And then I look right and I see the door shut. And I see this man standing there with an AR-15. As soon as he walked out, he was just right up on a group of people. I I think some of them survived, but I I know some of them didn't. He was maybe three to four feet from those people. And I remember the dude opened, put his hands up and backed up. And all you saw was the fire from the gun. And that's when I like, in my head, it was like, oh crap, this is real. And I I go to run out the back, which everyone's running everywhere. And I'm getting shot. I remember I fall, I get back up, I keep running. I could see through the through the doors opening and the, the back of the doors, I could see that the, there was a trailer outside and I could see that getting hit with bullets as I was running. And I got hit seven times, five of them went in me, two of them uh, just clipped me. And I run out the back, I jump the fence, I run like 30 yards, I hop off this ledge, which was about like 15, man, about 15 feet if you include the, the fence that was in front of it. And then I run across the street to 7-Eleven. I was bleeding out there. They cut me my clothes off. It took forever to get an ambulance. My like come to Jesus moment was when they started counting out how many times I had been shot. Once they got to five, that's when I got my cell phone and I called my dad. I was just like, I'm probably not gonna make it. That's the part of the story that usually chokes me up and I cry at. So I'm trying not to cry. But um, I called him, I called my best friend, I called another person, and um, I got to the hospital. They told me, they finally got me out of surgery, and they were like, all the bullets missed, and I'm still here. That's my story. When you found your dad and your friend, what did you say, and how did you feel about everything? Well, my dad's the only one that answered, because it was like 12-ish at night, so I didn't really expect anybody to answer. But um, basically, you know, I love you. And um, I've been shot, and we're waiting on an ambulance. I didn't tell him I was gonna. I thought I was gonna pass away because I was trying to be strong. Throughout the whole thing, I never lost consciousness. They said that I rem- talked in full sentences the whole time. Did your life literally flash before you? Did it flash before me? If it did, it was when I was laying on the sidewalk in front of 7-Eleven. I did look up at the stars for one minute and just look up. I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, um, bleeding from both my elbows. I got shot in both elbows, but it missed the bone, thank God. And what well, clipped me, but it's still pretty bad. So I'm bleeding from both elbows. I don't know where all the blood's coming from. So I think in the time when they were counting out the shots was my kind of flashing thank you so much for listening to our podcast this year don't forget you can see us do a huge gig a huge gig uh, in march at the just for last festival at the o2 in london the o2 not the o2 arena but you know a big room in the o2 yeah i mean it's it's in the o2 but you know so is anandos um we'll have super special guests to be announced and they will be iconic head to gainongay.com for tickets and we will see you when we're back woo Thanks for listening, babes. 
Do the admin and support Gay and Non-Gay? Visit gaynongay.com slash donate.